I'm Barbara DeMarco Barrett, and you're listening to Writers on Writing. My guest today is Matt Bell, author of Refuse to be Done, How to Write and Rewrite a Novel in Three Drafts, published by Soho Press. Matt is the author of the novels Appleseed, Scrapper, and In the House Upon the Dirt Between the Lake and the Woods, as well as the short story collection A Tree or a Person or a Wall, a nonfiction book about the classic video game Baldur's Gate 2, and several other titles. He's a native of Michigan, and he teaches creative writing at Arizona State University. On the show, we talked about what else, revision. I came away with new tips or reminders, such as if you're looking for places to cut, go through your draft and highlight the weakest sentence in each paragraph. We spent an hour talking about revision, so let's dive in. So Matt, I'm so glad to talk with you. I uh, I have had your book for a while, Refused to Be Done, and I have used it, and I've been recommending it, and I thought it was about time I talked to you. Um, so thanks for uh, taking the time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's begin by hearing about the genesis of the book. How did it come about? Uh, you know, it really comes out of first, I think, out of my own writing practice, you know, and I uh, I wrote two novels I never showed anybody and never tried to revise, you know, before I went to grad school. And then uh, as I was finishing grad school, I, I finished a story collection and started writing another novel. And I got to the the end of the novel or that first draft of it and sort of realized that I didn't know how to revise something that big. You know, with a short story, I could uh, kind of brute force my way through it and just sort of like keep trying, keep trying and and tinkering until it it got sort of good enough to send out. But that seemed like it would take forever with a novel, which is probably true. Um, And so, uh, you know, the first stuff that's in this book really came out of me trying to figure out how to revise novels on my own. Uh, And then, you know, I started being asked to give uh, crap talks or or class visits and different things. And I, I wrote a really early version of a, a lecture that was just like practical, uh, action-oriented things to do in revision. And that became sort of my, you know, traveling show. Like everybody's got their craft talk they do over and over. I mean, it was my job talk for my job. I teach at Arizona State University. Um, at some point, I, I got asked to do it specifically about novel writing. It kind of became the three draft sort of version that's in the book. And then maybe four or five years ago, I, I was at the University of Alabama and I gave this talk and uh, Heidi Lynn Staples came up to me afterwards and she said, you know, that's a book, right? And I went, oh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> and so I, you know, had I was working on a novel at the time, but had in my mind that maybe when I was done with that book, I would try to expand uh, the lecture into what became Refused to be Done. So I ended up writing it between drafts of my novel, Appleseed. So I wrote a draft of the novel, then a draft of the craft book and back and forth until both books were were finished more or less at the same time. So the voice, it's very conversational. And I'm curious about, because you talk about voice um, in in Refuse to be Done, but talk about kind of nailing the voice of this book. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, uh, the quick answer is probably that it's written in the voice I could write it in, but I think it's... um, uh, probably like a literary version of my professor voice. You know, everybody has their sort of teacherly persona. And I think this is a, you know, reasonable approximation of mine. 
Uh, one of the things I started doing a couple of years ago was making a lot more of my own uh, materials for classes that I, I write uh, exercises for all my classes in different ways. I tend to write them new every semester for the sort of students that are in the class that, that year. And I think doing that helped me sort of start honing a version of like my teacherly persona on the page, right? Um, and so I think that helped a lot. I think the other thing with this one, because I've been doing it as a craft lecture for a long time, I had a pretty good sense, at least with the material that came out of that, that of how it played with other people and how other people interacted with it. Um, some of it's kind of like a stand-up routine that I got to do for three years before we recorded it or something, right? Um, so I had a lot of practice with some of this material, which was really useful. Uh, but I think what I, I really wanted it to be was accessible um, so that it, it wasn't something that require you to have a sort of previous education, creative writing, um, and also to sort of feel like it was on your side as opposed to like, um, I don't know, I'm suspicious of like a sort of guru kind of thing where like I have a bunch of mastery of knowledge I'm trying to give you. I, I really think more like we're all writing alongside each other. Um, and so I hope that the book uh, kind of gives off that vibe that like I'm also doing everything that's in the book like right now, right? Um, and I hope it feels that way. So talk about the three drafts. Um, how did you come up with the three drafts or the three stages? Um, and, and maybe talk about what they are, maybe, yeah. you know, capsulized. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the three drafts of the book, uh, sort of really like three stages that I think novel writing goes through or can go through. Um, and in some ways, they're the ones my novels go through. So I think every novel I've written has gone through a pretty similar process, even though they're they're all their own sort of beast. Uh, the first draft I think of as the exploratory draft. Uh, um, I don't do a lot of outlining before I start. I usually own no kind of little bit. So I, I really think of it as an exploratory, playful draft where I'm uh, discovering the novel by writing it. Uh, I think of the kind of revision you're doing in that stage as generative revision. So the kind of revision and rewriting that helps you get through the draft, that helps you keep going. Uh, once I have a full draft, then I, I begin what in Fusudana call sort of narrative revision, the second draft, where I'm trying to get the, the story like the best it can be. I'm trying to get the story and the structure and the plot and everything sort of on the page so that the you know machine of the book is sort of working. And then the third draft I think of is, is polishing revision, where I'm making the turn from sort of the writer-based version of the book, the version that's for me, to a reader-based version of the book, which, you know, uh, means getting myself out of the way. It means making the sentences the best they can be. It means getting rid of anything extraneous, but really trying to make like sort of like the leanest, best version that can go out to readers. And just sort of recognizing uh, for me that like all these things don't have to happen at the same time. I think part of writer's block can sometimes be trying to do all the things you need to do to write a novel at the exact same moment. Um, and by breaking it up into these sort of stages and the stages into like more discrete tasks, I think we make the task uh, achievable in some ways. Mm. <clears throat> you talk about the goal of the second draft is to rewrite the novel and the voice of all that happened. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, that's a uh, the voice fall that happened comes from Amy Tan. And I think she said in an interview, and I, I just think that's like a really, it really resonated with me as what I feel. Um, I think you, at least I, I say I, I always say you, but I mean I, um, I think I write a kind of prose when I'm writing a first draft of something. And, and it's 
the kind of prose you write while you're trying to figure out what you're writing about. Um, and it, you know, I'm always trying to write the best sentences I can. That's part of the joy of writing. I'm always trying to write the best scenes I can. But often I don't really know what's happening in a scene yet. So the scene gets kind of like baggy or, or it's sort of trying to find itself or I'm explaining too much because I'm trying to figure it out myself as I'm writing. But then in a second draft, you know what happens in the book. And so the, the kind of prose you're writing is just trying to get it down on the page in the best possible form. And I think, though, again, I think those things are like really different jobs. And it's, you know, hard to do them both at the same time. There's certainly sentences from my first draft that make it all the way to my final. But I do a lot of rewriting simply because the, uh, the job of the kind of writing I was doing was different in each draft. So that once you have that sort of all that happened in your head, then you're writing with an awareness of the whole story that's greater than you probably had in the first draft, even if you are an outliner, just because you haven't spent as much time with the characters and you haven't been through the plot once yourself. Um, those are really advantages you bring to the second draft writing. You know, I was thinking, um, especially for slow writers that take a long time, maybe take, you know, I don't know, a few years writing yeah. a novel. Um, if you're a slow writer, you may be a different person by the time you get to the end of your first draft and are going back into revising. And so how, how limiting are you in terms of doing major rewriting? I mean, you might get to the end of the first draft and go, you know what, I really want this to be the problem that the protagonist is dealing with, not this, or maybe this side character is more interesting than that side character or whatever. Sort of major major to my way of thinking major changes are you yeah. limiting that aspect um of revising are you just going you know go for it do whatever you need to do to make yeah. it more interesting to yourself I, I think probably the latter you know i i and like you said i think you know most of us don't write novels really quickly you know there are obviously the people who are writing a novel a year two novels a year the the Stephen Kings or um, Joyce Carol Oates are writing maybe like three or four a year. Um, but for most of us, that's not the case. So, you know, I think my novels from like conception to being ready to send to, you know, an agent or editor or something have been, you know, three or four years. And then by the time the whole process happens, maybe five. And so you do change a lot in those, those times, you know, um, I, uh, and so I think in some ways you have to sort of live with that. There is maybe a, a, a way to have like a capsule version where you write a book really fast then you have this like it's from like a flash in your life but for a lot of people it is going to expand more time and things are going to happen you're going to people get married or divorced or you move or you have kids or your uh you know your parents pass away or um or something traumatic happens in the world like covid or uh trump being elected or 9-11 <laughs> or all these things that are sort of disruptive to our <laughs> sense of like reality you know um and <laughs> On one hand, I mean, I, I I remember like sort of when when Trump got elected and when sort of COVID happened, people were like, oh, like the book I was writing, like I can't imagine still working on it. And mm. and I that's that certainly happened 9-11 to you. Like many books were abandoned in 9-11, I think. Um, mm. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think also one of the real advantages of of novel writing and how long it takes is this idea that like many different versions of yourself work on the book. So uh, I think I talk about reviews we've done is like manifesting on the page. Like if I work on a book for a thousand days, then a thousand me's work on some part of it. And sometimes one solves a problem another one couldn't see or couldn't figure out. 
Um, I just solved a plot problem in the novel I'm writing now that I think I thought about all last year, right? And like, I woke up on like January 1st, I'm like, oh, I get it. You know, just sort of like that, <laughs> that the 2023 me knows how to fix that. Um, and I think some of that other stuff is true too. Like you go on a trip and you see something that, that works in your novel that you couldn't have known at the beginning. Um, I know I'm going on for a minute, but I'll just say this and I'll stop. But I think there's a, a way in which every novel becomes like a form of attention. It becomes a way of seeing the world and like filtering the world. And that gets stronger for me as I go. And sometimes the me that's doing the third draft sees things and knows they're related to the book in a way that the me who wrote like the first page never could have. They didn't know anything about the book yet. Um, so I, I think that way that books live with us as we're writing them is maybe one of the great strengths of the novel, even though it feels like maybe a liability of it. Well, you, I think, are a very patient person. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I don't know that it feels like that on a day-to-day -day basis, you know? I just sort of trust the process. But, you know, you're always sort of like, why am I done with this? Why am I still working on it? Why do I have to do this part of the process? But um, I, I know it works for me to sort of do, let things happen to this. And also, I, I mean, I couldn't write an, a good 60,000 word novel in a weekend if I wanted to, right? So like, that's not, <laughs> it's not possible anyway. So I might as well take advantage of what's possible in my life. Well, one thing that I know writers, at least my students and, and friends have problems with um, especially with the first book is getting rid of stuff, you know, cutting yeah. and, and, you know, the feeling is I spent, you know, weeks writing that scene and now I have to get rid of it. Um, I, it sounds like that kind of thing is okay with you. Like that's just part of the process, right? Yeah. But so is that feeling though. Right. I mean, <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, especially when you're, like you said, writing a first book or a first short story, you know, and I'm, I'm teaching undergrads and they, you know, they're, as soon as they're literally writing the first story they've ever written, like every word of that costs them everything, right. That's their entire mm -hmm. literary, uh, output for their life so far. Um, and eventually I think you, you just write so much and you type so much that it can become a little less, uh, I don't mean precious in a bad way, but like precious, you know, like I, I think I know that some of what I'm writing is not going to end up in the book, but I, I am really committed to the idea that none of it is waste. I think there's also this idea, like I wrote it, so I have to like use it. I wrote it, so I have to get something out of it. Um, but it's all, I mean, at worst case, it's all practice. Like everything you write makes you a better writer. Um, and I, I do think a lot of the stuff that doesn't end up in my books was part of the thinking that got me to the book, right? Um, I think for me, I throw away at least the same amount that's in every book. Um, sometimes literally like, like all my books were like double at one point what they are in the final. Um, but I often have a cut file full of tons of stuff that was never really part of a final draft. It was something I was trying or something I was experimenting with. Um, to give like an extreme example of that in my, my second novel scrapper, when I was writing the first draft of it, um, it takes place mostly in, in contemporary Detroit. Uh, the protagonist is from a small town in Michigan, like the small town in Michigan where I'm from. And there was a part in the draft where the character like packed up two of the other main characters and they went back to the town he was from and they walked around it and they walked around his parents' house and he told all these stories about sort of growing up there and what it was like in his life. And it was like 10,000 words of that. Like I worked on it for like a month and a half. And I knew that could not be in the book. You can't just pack up your characters, take them to a second place and let him like memory palace for half the book. Um, but I learned so much about the character writing that, right? I don't think a word of that 10,000 words is in the final book, but I didn't really understand the protagonist until I wrote it. Um, 
And so that's that kind of exploratory writing that was an incredible amount of work. And I worked really hard on the sentences and I tried to make it interesting, um, knowing all the time that I was probably not really keeping it. So in some ways it was a kind of in book journaling or something, but I don't know. Like, I think you get, uh, everybody has to find their own peace with that stuff. But I think it seems okay to me that I write something that no one sees, um, but then, again, that's sort of easier after you have books in the world and you have stuff that people do see, maybe you can live with the stuff they don't. Do you end up using, do you ever end up using the stuff you've cut in some other project maybe, or a story or I don't know, somewhere else? I, I used to say like never, because I think it used to sort of be never. And part of it is my books are really different from each other. So it's been hard to sort of, you know, things just can't slide into the next book or something. But I do think like, ideas repeat or there's a, a thing I wanted to write about that I couldn't get into another book that disappears somewhere else um in a in a novel I, I was writing that didn't come together I had these sort of like three witches that were working through the book and um and they kind of repeated and came into my novel Appleseed which did work out and they they're different than the ones that were in that other novel but I, that image was still floating around right I don't think any of the writing is there but I th those characters wanted to come out somewhere um I worked on a, a novel for maybe a year or two. I was writing about uh, about Alan Turing and about the making of the Disney movie Snow White, um, <laughs> which are maybe not obviously connected, but, but have a connection. Uh, and nothing from that book got seen by anybody else or read. Um, I had a good time working on it, but couldn't figure it out. And then uh, uh, two pages of it that were about the Snow White part ended up appearing in a magazine where I saw the editor talking about something I'd written about. And I was like, oh, I think I wrote about that. And I went and found this like little flash fiction that was kind of done in the book. Um, but, you know, I think I worked in the book for two years and I got a two page publication out of it. Right. Um, so it appear <laughs> like what goes on my resume way, not a very successful project. But I had a lot of fun working on that book. And I think I did some good writing there. And, uh, you know, even if very little of it was public facing, that can be part of the process, too. Um, I uh, maybe we'll talk about this another time, but I, I do have a lot of products that don't come together between the ones that do. And I think I've better and better at accepting that as part of the process as well. Well, do talk about that because, you know, I think a lot of writers do have projects that they put aside at, you know, 100 pages, 200 yeah. pages, maybe entire drafts and decide, no, nah, I'm not going to do anything with this. Talk yeah. about that. Yeah. I think it, it feels harder at the novel scale, right? Because you spent so much time on it. Like when a short story doesn't come together, like it could still be a lot of time, but it tends not to be novel time. Um, I mentioned earlier that I had two full novel drafts I wrote kind of before grad school that I sort of knew were, I could feel they were early work or they were too obviously like derivative of somebody else's, right? Like one of them was basically like a, a Chuck Palahniuk fan fiction, right? I'd written another Chuck Palahniuk book. Um, so I sort of knew that wasn't something I would send out. Uh, then between In the House Upon the Dirt, Between the Lake and the Woods, my first novel and my second novel, Scrapper, I wrote 200, 150 page novel drafts that didn't turn out. Um, and then between Scrapper and Appleseed, I wrote four, where I wrote at least 100 pages of them, um, including the Alan Turing book I was talking about. Um, I was a little worried between the book, between Appleseed and the book I'm right now, I'd have to write like eight, like this would be like a growing number through my career. But so far, it doesn't seem to be the case. Um, why did they fail? I think different reasons, you know, certainly one book, I just couldn't figure the plot out. Like it just, it's just something that I could never quite get, right? I'd, I'd write a hundred pages of it and be interested in it, but I just couldn't figure out the story. I liked the characters in the world, but couldn't find a story in it. Um, one of them, I 
as I was writing, I realized that maybe I was not the person to tell this particular story. I sort of researched myself into like an ethical quandary where it just felt like I was never going to be like culturally able to tell this story mm -hmm. and maybe somebody else should tell it. And so that felt okay too. Um, one of them I definitely like flinched on in like a self-generated, is this the right book for me to be writing? Is this the right move for my career kind of thing? And just like, and no one's ever put any of that pressure on me, just like self-generated doubt, right? Um, and, and lost a book that way. And so like different things sort of happened. Uh, but you know, like that one that I felt like ethically, there was no reason to continue with. It was maybe a book I shouldn't write. Um, I think it was like a transformative thing to work on. Like I, I learned so much writing that book and I, and it did change the way I thought about some things in the world. And so I don't really think of that as wasted time. It just didn't become a book, you know? Well, you have a lot of books published. What did you nine or 10? Yeah, this nine, I think. Yeah. Okay. So and it sounds like you have a lot of projects that you put aside. So how is it possible <laughs> to publish nine books and still have a ton of material you put aside? Are, are you, do you just, are, you must be very committed to the desk, to writing daily, to generating words and, and um, I don't know, deadlines. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think to some extent that's true, right? Like I, um, I do write a lot um although not necessarily a ton like I write like you know I try to write four or five days a week a couple hours at a time and I, I'm lucky you know I, I work as a professor and I've been lucky I write well early mornings and I've been lucky not to have to like teach or do meetings at that time for for years which allows me to sort of protect that brain space um but I I think some of it is just like a day I write I feel more like myself than I do on a day I don't so you know working on the books is is a joy uh, mo you know, not always in like a literal way, but like it, it adds something to my life that days where I don't write, you know, don't have. Um, and so I think that that does help with that. Um, like typing is not the problem for me. Like I can generate words, right? Um, figuring what to do with them, figuring out how to make it into a book someone wants to read is sort of a different thing. But um, I, yeah, I think days where I write and days where I read, I feel more like myself. You know, I uh, it's probably actually like a failing. Like I think when I'm not doing that stuff, I feel a little thin personality wise, like there's not enough to me. And I always sort of wonder like, is everybody else just okay? Like <laughs> I have to do this so I can like feel like a person. Um, but there is a little bit of that to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, if you write 500 words a day, five days a week, you write something like 130,000 words a year. So just like producing a novel's amount of words is like a reasonably small task. It's making like the good words in the right order is the hard part, right? That's great. The good words <laughs> in the right order. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Even after I said that, I'm like, the right words in the right order? We can revise this. It can be better, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So you call the first draft the diminishing draft. What mm. do you mean by that? Yeah, sort of. I mean, I think a thing I made up as a joke for myself when I was uh, writing in the house, you know, I I still I had then and still have like two monitors at home. And I had this idea that I would rewrite the book kind of from scratch that I would uh, in future when I talk about like I do my outlining after the first draft and I, I outline what's there and then I revise that outline into a plan for the, the better second draft. And then I write that draft from scratch. But um, I know people who like just put their first drafts in drawers and go on. I've never quite had that confidence. Um, and so my idea was that I would put the the old draft, the first draft, obviously a copy of it, I'm not like throwing stuff away, um, on my second monitor and that I would retype 
following this outline and I could use stuff from the first draft, which was calling the diminishing draft. And after I used it, I would delete it from that draft. So one day the new blank document would be a full novel and the diminishing draft would have nothing in it, right? Like almost like a blood transfusion or something. Um, and it was a fun way to think about it. The, the one draft would get smaller as you deleted, the other one would grow. And I think it, uh, it was kind of a security blanket. It made me feel like I wasn't starting from scratch and I could use the best stuff from the first draft. Um, and so I still do that. My diminishing draft is actually for the novel right now is actually open on my second monitor as we're talking. Um, so it's still part of my process, although I use less of it every novel. So I think I used a lot of it with my first novel and with Appleseed, I used very little. There was like tens of thousands of words left in it when I was done. Um, maybe like 50, 60,000 words left of like a 90,000 word first draft. I used very little of it in sort of a direct way. Um, but I do think it helps me um, feel confident at the beginning of the second draft, which is, can be a very daunting time. And then I also think it's just kind of a fun thing to watch the numbers go up on one and go down on the other. Um, yeah, so it's it's been a nice part of my process anyway. Okay, so just so I have this straight, so you have two monitors, you have mm -hmm. probably a, a laptop screen or, screen or computer screen, and then you have another monitor. And so you're not cutting and pasting you're looking at one and typing it in the other when you use that scene or section or chapter then you delete it yeah from, that's exactly from the it. one yeah i think for okay. me the not the not copying and pasting is actually like the whole trick um mm -hmm. like uh copying and pasting is not revision right i mean sometimes it is you're moving things around but it's not revising the prose certainly it's not rethinking it or revisioning it um and so by making myself rewrite it uh both like i think there's a limit to how much like bad prose you'll rewrite like you sort of start retyping a sentence and you're like this is not very good and yeah. you'll change it but you might copy and paste a bad sentence and i also think in the rewriting you get new places like it's sort of like you're you know you often start retyping a paragraph and the paragraph becomes something else or it takes your new place and that seems really exciting um and it also is one of the ways to sort the material of the first draft a little bit. I was just talking on the phone with a friend of mine who's in the middle of rewriting a memoir in this way. And she's like, uh, you know, I hit this four page part. And as, uh, as soon as I started retyping it, I was like, no one needs to hear about this. And she's like, and I just cut it and moved on, you know. And so I think it does apply a little rigor to the material. Um, like if you won't, if you won't retype it once, should anyone have to read it is what I used to tell myself. Um, and I think there's a little bit of truth to that, right? Like I can't spend an hour, you know, retyping the scene. Should anyone ever have to spend, you know, 15 minutes reading it? Um, you know, that's not for everybody, but for me, it, it's a nice way to apply some pressure to what I'm doing. So that makes me think of boredom and what you do with boredom, because, you know, you can be bored or not think something's working about something you've written because you've seen it so much, mm -hmm. or it can be because it just really should go. And how do you tell the difference, you know, between that sort of boredom where it's just that you've seen it too much right. and it really should go? Yeah, uh, it might depend a little bit on like the stage, right? You know, I think there, um, there are times where you're just like, if you find yourself mad at like every part of the book, then you should step away, right? Like <laughs> I have those days where like um, I open up the document. I'm just like, this is the worst thing anyone's written. And why would anyone continue <laughs> to work on it? And some days you just have to be like, okay, this is not one of those. Um I do think there have been times, even in the first draft, where I've just felt like a little bored with the project, but I kept writing anyway. And I sort of imagined that later I'd be able to really see those parts where I was bored. Um, 
But I think like a lot of jobs, like my mood does not necessarily determine the quality of my work that much. Um, days where I had a really good time writing often produce about as good as material as days where I was like bored with it or was having a bad day. Um, so I, I don't put a ton of stock in it the first time, but I do think that a boring scene is probably boring or a thing that is not as good as you want it to be is probably not as good as you want it to be. Um, but like you said, it's hard to know what's what. So one of the things that I think has been useful for me is uh, I do this partly for confidence, but there's always some stuff, even really early on in a draft when the whole book is kind of up for grabs, where I really like a passage of writing. Sometimes it's like a paragraph. Um, in the first draft of my novel, Scrapper, there was a paragraph that was about the protagonist and this woman he was dating just like playing like pinball and arcade games in like a, a bar while day drinking in like downtown Detroit. It wasn't super plot important, but it had like the feeling I think I was going for. It just felt great to me. And I, and I thought when the whole book feels like this, I'll be done. And it was kind of, it becomes like a way to like test things against like, is this part as good as that? Well, no, it's not. Well, what can be done for it? How can we make it better? Um, and I think that can be sort of useful. I think there's another kind of boredom, which is just like you're writing the wrong thing in the book, like you're writing the wrong scene or you're writing um, the wrong action and you you don't want to do it partly because it's wrong. And sometimes you just have to stop and reevaluate and be like, what's, what's another thing that could go here? What's the right thing that could go here that I'm doing something I don't want to be doing? Um, and then there's there's maybe another, this is not exactly what's boring, but one of my favorite late stage revision things is I'll, I'll go through and I'll, I'll highlight like the weakest sentence in every paragraph. And I sort of don't mean a bad sentence. I just mean like not as good as everything else. And then I will try to just take all of those out, like just delete them or replace them. Um, and rather than keep tinkering with that bad sentence, I either try to do without it or I try to write something better in that place. And that actually clears out a lot of the, the boring stuff from a book sometimes, you know, um, that there's there's all this stuff that's not as good as the rest of it that's kind of clogging up the works. And when you get rid of that, like, bottom 10%, the rest of the book suddenly, like, snaps and is better. And I think doing some of those things sometimes helps me uh, escape that feeling of, like, this part is really bad or this book is really bad or, you know, there's ways to sort of improve the proportion of goodness in the book. Yeah. I love that because often writers as writers, we sit, we show something, we show and we're in a scene, we're showing something and then we explain what it is. Right. And yeah. And so the weakest sentence in each paragraph, I love that. I yeah. Love that. That, that I, yeah. Same thing. The explanation that feels so, like for you, when you're figuring the book out, almost all has to come out, right? Like very, very little of that stays, but it is what makes the book clogged a lot of times is like your logic still being on the page in a certain way, or at least that was happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, what about minimalists? You know, I mean, maybe you're not writing enough. Maybe you're at 50,000 words, you're done with your um, novel and it's time to revise. And if you cut half of it, you're going to be back down to 25,000. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then what? Um, yeah, it's funny because I feel like that questions come up a lot since this book comes out. And I'm like, oh, right. Like I've written a, a, a book for like maximalist pantsers, right? Like it's sort of <laughs> like there's a, maybe a, a specific audience that's best for. But because uh, underwriting is clearly not my issue in any way. Um, I do think sometimes when I when I find something in my own work that's a little thin, I try to write like like even things like 
what are the, can I write between sentences? Can I write into the middle of paragraphs? Um, uh, one of the things that maybe, maybe this is actually a better answer. One of the things I think sometimes happens when I see that in my students, although I, I really have even very few students who are true underwriters, right? They have things where they like escape hats from scenes too early or something, right? But they're not really underwriting. They're just not like staying with the trouble. Um, but I, I think one of the, the most useful sort of evaluative tools for me is to look at the scenes in my book and go, what changed in the scene or what choice did the protagonist make in the scene or what action did the protagonist make in the scene? And when those things are missing or are not strong, that's a place where more writing goes. And I, I guess is that sometimes when people are exiting scenes too early over and over, they're getting out of there before the change happens or they're getting out of there before the character is forced to act. And those might be places to re-inhabit. Um, and, and that happens even in more maximalist writing like mine, right? You can write a 5,000 word scene in which nothing happens very easily. Um, <laughs> and I, So I think looking for those places where something has been allowed to be static. Um, I think I had a lot of trouble with that with my second novel where I was writing almost like, uh, like these like really tight, short sections that were almost like, prose poemy but they were very like habitual action it was sort of like they were static like this is what's always happening in this person's life and in rewriting i had to go and like kind of break them open and make like make a single example of it that was a scene where the character acted and that made them like much longer right it sort of it, it blew them up in a certain way they went from being um summary to scene really although they were like very highly like written scene summary um quite quite lovely to read in certain ways but not much was happening and i think that was part of what made a first draft of that book feel um stuck in a certain way uh and yeah expanding those habitual things into like scenes created some of that growth for me mm, yeah that's great that's that's really you know wonderful to hear i think wonderful advice um do you have rituals? Do you have rituals for, I don't know, changing your state of mind, going from say writing to editing or revising? Do you do, you do anything like play music, light a candle, make coffee? Um, how do you shift over? I don't think I have like, uh, like the sort of uh, talismanic kind of rituals like that, but I do think I'm like very like routine oriented, you know, I, I, my sort of ideal day, you know, is, is often pretty similar to the day before it, you know, I, I wake up and I, I tend to exercise as soon as I wake up, I, I run a lot. So mostly running, but sometimes other stuff, um, I come back, have breakfast, read for a little bit, uh, meditate if I'm being good. And, uh, and then I try to get to the desk. And, you know, I think that sort of doing the same things in the same order or sometimes gets me to the desk, like in the mood to work. Um, I do tend to have music that I listen to um, and, you know, each book kind of accrues its own music foundation in the same way it accrues its own like art foundation or literary foundation. So there are things that end up feeling like like the book um, and get me in that mindset. Uh, I know when I was writing my first novel, I was traveling a lot for work and I had like a playlist that I always played and I almost became like an um, like an audio office. Like I could put it on in a hotel room and I would be in book mode. You know, it was sort of like that was pretty neat. Um, kind of self-mesmerizing or something. Uh, the, the biggest sort of change for me between 
like draft drafting i can't do very long in a day most of the time um i've had luck to do like some short residencies here and there a residency i can work long days because all the rest of life is stripped away right but at home i can really only draft a little bit before i just get sloppy it just doesn't work so i can draft two three hours in a stretch if i'm doing really well but in late stage revision i can work really long hours and i like to work long hours because it helps me see the whole book i can keep the whole book in my head um so maybe like the very end of a first draft or like uh the very end of a, a third draft especially um i'll have like a stretch of a couple of weeks where i'm working three four hours in the morning maybe a little bit in the afternoon maybe a couple hours like after my wife goes to bed or something in the evening and maybe now i'm working like eight nine ten hours a day on the book and uh and that becomes a really different mindset like that's where i become like a writer like in a movie like I'm a little crazy uh I have trouble like talking to other people about other things you know boy <laughs> so I was like will you be done with this soon so I can like <laughs> not like you'll look like a person again and you know um and I get a little weird you know um and I think uh, I wouldn't want to live like that all the time but it has its sort of like obsessive use at that moment um and that feels really like a different activity but it's still not so much about transitioning um it's hard for me to do a lot of things at once I tend to one of the, uh, I tend not to write short stories anymore because I can't go back and forth between a story and a novel. I'm I'm kind of in on what I'm doing till it's done. If I if I can work ideally, um, obviously when books are in the pipeline, like I had to do edits on Appleseed and refuse to be done while I was working on the book I'm writing, and that requires some sort of shifting. But it's not usually in the same day. It'd be very very rare for me to try to work on two writing projects in the same day, even in the same book. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, there's certainly a stage where you're popping around, you can do other things. But mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think I'm usually kind of head down in what I'm doing. I don't know what your sort of tolerance for this is, but I I think I learned, even while I was writing just short stories, that I can only hold about, like, at best, like 30 pages of the book in my head at a time. Like, I don't even kind of, I mean, that's one of the reasons you write an outline for the second draft. Like, I don't even know what's happening in a lot of the rest of the book while I'm working on it. So I'm really seeing the chapter I'm thinking, working on, I'm thinking about that chapter. And for the most part, I'm not thinking about the whole of the book. Um, it's one of the reasons for those long hours at other stages so that I can kind of think over a, a bigger period of the book just by getting through it over and over faster, right? Um, but it's not rare for me to uh, to be really inside the chapter I'm writing until it's sort of done. And then I sort of can think about the next thing. So um yeah I mean it's maybe a limitation of my brain that I've learned to work with or accept <laughs> yeah I mean so much of this is just figuring out what your own right. body and brain are capable of right 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 well a, a minute ago or a couple minutes ago you mentioned short stories and hmm. I wondered if you ever turned short stories into novels or have you conflated short stories into a novel I don't think so um yeah, there's nothing that started as a short story that became a novel. Uh, I think I do most of my short story writing inside novels now, if that makes sense. Like, um, like in Scrapper, there's like three interludes that are, they're really probably short stories. They're separate from the main storyline. They don't involve anyone in the novel. They're like 20 pages long. Those are sort of stories that are somehow related to the rest of that book. Um, but it's very rare for me to to do that way. I feel like the scale is so different for me. Um I know this isn't true of everybody. There are a lot of short stories that became successful novels, but I feel like you can often feel it, you know, when a short story is grown in that way, if it doesn't just continue, right? If short story is stretched to novel length. Um, for me, there's such different scales, but I also think I've broken my short story sense of like how of duration, even at the scene level. I, I wrote a short story this year, you know, like a 6,000 word short story for the first time in, in years. Um, 
and I found it incredibly difficult to like rein it into like the the size. I think mm. I started. I'm just writing on a different uh, a scale. Um, and one's not better than the other. It's just like how my brain is currently configured. Um, so there, there, it is really, really hard for me to sort of write short, straight length. But I often write like a chapter where someone tells a story in the first person for 15 pages, right? You know, and so it's like, I'm just, that that when something happens at that scale, it happens inside the bigger framework for me. Um, I, I envy people who can do both. Like someone like Laura Vandenberg who seems to switch back and forth with like relative ease. I'm sure it doesn't feel like relative ease to me, her, but it feels like relative ease to me. Um, but I, I think I've really reshaped my internal sort of clock for, I don't know, rate of revelation and, and narrative to be more novel length for better or worse. Mm -hmm. Do you have favorite tools? Do tools matter to you? Do you have different things you do when you're drafting versus revising? Yeah, I mean, I think probably pretty basic stuff. You know, I, I write on, a, I have an iMac at home. I'm on my third iMac that looks just like the same, you know, like I'm just like <laughs> replacing it. They've changed how they look now. This would be my last time having one of these. I might keep this one for 30 years. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, so in some ways it feels like just staring into the same box. It just runs faster every time I get a new one. Um, I do 95% of my writing in Word. Um, you know, I've tried some of the other things like Scrivener and that. I actually drafted Refuse to be Done in Scrivener, which worked really well for the first draft of that book and then revised it in Word. But, my, you know, uh, my for better or worse, my muscle memory is in Word, right? I, I pulled it up and it looks like writing to me and everything else. I feel the software in the way because I'm just not as used to it. So I've never taken the time to do that. Um, print stuff off, edit by hand a lot. I do use my e-reader and my iPad a lot for uh for just revision and reviewing i send i tend to send the file every day to uh the kindle app even if you're not a kindle reader the kindle app will let you send word docs to it and <laughs> so i i send my file to that and i can read it on my ipad and i often just look over the day's writing there later in the day i find that super helpful just sort of review what i did because you know you write it once you don't always remember even what you wrote that day and it helps me sort of remember what i've added and be excited about it before I go to bed. Um, so that's actually something that I think is a really important part of my process. I always know when I'm excited about a book because I'm I'm looking forward to like sitting down later with the tablet and reading the day's pages again. Um, that's always a good sign when that's part of my habits. Um, I only use Pilot G2 pens, but I don't know why. But I just feel like <laughs> they're like the only pens I own. Someone hands me another pen. I'm always like, oh, how are you going to do this? Uh, but I have terrible handwriting, so I don't handwrite very much. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, like nothing too exciting. I, I you know, I uh, since COVID happens, my noise canceling headphones have become a tool because my wife works from home now too, um, so we can be kind of separate at home. But uh, but otherwise, it's really just staring into the computer. It's not super magical from that point of view. Um, maybe a thing to say, you know, I I do tend to try to work a little bit when I travel or just keep my hand in a little bit if I'm not on like purification. And one of the things that I I love is the way that a piece of the book written somewhere else always feels like that place when I work on it. Um, I wrote the the very end of Appleseed at, uh, at the Vermont Studio Center. I was there as a visiting writer and I was in the visiting writer cabin. I'd been there once before. Um, and every time I would get back to those pages as working the book, I would like be in that room again. And the way that like the novel can be kind of a reverse memory palace in that way, I find really pleasing. And maybe one of the reasons to write in multiple places is to get some of that like worldliness attached to the book 
where if you always write in the same place, I don't know that totally happens, but I do 90% of mine at home in my office. Hmm. Well, I'm curious how your own writing and revising has changed over the years from book to book. Has it? Yeah, I think one of the things I mentioned earlier is that I use a lot less of the first draft than I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a, that's a big part of it. The book changes more in revision than it used to. Um, some of that, I think, is I'm writing more complicated books, like uh, just books with more multiple storylines or take place over a longer period of time. And so there's there's more to revise in some ways. Um, excuse me, I think some of it is just like, believing in the process differently. Like I'm, I'm faster at recognizing the phases I'm in or sort of recognizing that I'm uh, avoiding the work or doing something in a, in a way that's not going to be ultimately very useful to me. So it doesn't necessarily like speed me up, but it does keep me from, um, I don't know, keep me from some of the worst habits maybe that I used to have. Um, you know, there's, there's always these places where, where you figure something out in your process and I don't know that you can speed it up or, or as much as just like writing gets you to them. You know, right before I went to grad school, like the month before grad school started, I wrote a, a short story that I could tell was like different than my other short stories. I felt this like kind of jump in what I was sort of able to do. And I remember being like, oh, am I going to be able to do this now? And, and it turned out to be true. Like I could. I could like I, my stories around grad school were totally different than the ones I wrote before. But the change happened before I went to grad school. And while I was writing... Appleseed, I think I'd always dialogue's always been like a weak point for me. I think I'm not a naturally good dialogue writer. Um, and I figured out something about how I was using dialogue and I changed and it changed what was possible for me, like at the scene level. And and that changed what was possible for me almost at like the structural level. If I could write scenes that did this that were dialogue driven, then I could write like a different kind of book. Um and uh and that was a really exciting part of writing that book. And it's followed with me. You know, I think it's a, it's come with me in a certain way into the next thing. And I don't know that I did anything to get to that, except like continuing to read and write a lot uh, and be frustrated with not being a good dialogue writer. Um, but I, I do think a lot of the big changes have just come out of practice as more than they've come out of like hearing the silver bullet thing from someone else, even though that's why we listen to podcasts like this. It's why I have a shelf full of craft books. It's why I wrote a craft book, right? Um, but the craft books in some way exist as like a way of encouraging my practice more than like a substitute for it, right? Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's interesting. You know, as, you, as you've been mentioning your book titles, I was thinking you have a thing, you know, you come up with some great titles. I love In the House Upon the Dirt Between the Lake and the Woods and apple seed and i mean how and then this one refused to be done how much work are you putting into titles and revising your titles as you go along writing the book yeah um thank you i i like those titles too i feel lucky i think maybe to to had good title luck um i usually know the title before i start I think that's that's true, and which is interesting, I guess, for someone who doesn't outline in any other way. Um, I think I figured out in the house's title within like the first week of writing it, and then Scrapper and Appleseed, I I definitely had before I wrote a word of them, um, and they never really changed or sort of wavered. Uh, there's a quote in the book that I really like from Kevin Brockmeyer, where he says, the uh, the title is the target toward which I fire the arrow of the story. And I, I think that feels really true to me, that the book kind of grows into its title, ideally, you know, you don't really know what Appleseed describes until the book Appleseed exists, but it sort of suggests something. And I think that suggestion is really helpful. Scrapper certainly did that way. I knew I was writing about 
that book takes place in like the illegal metal scrapping industry, I guess, in, in contemporary Detroit. And so I had that title scrapper and it eventually did all this sort of suggestive, symbolic, metaphor, character building work for me just by sitting at the top of the document. Um, I think Refuse to be Done came out of the book. Like I, I wrote that sentence in the book somewhere. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting title. Um, so I don't I don't remember what it was called before that, if it had a title. Um, it might have been just called like The Art of Revision or something, which is good it wasn't called that because Peter Ho Davies wrote that book this year. Um, but uh, I, so I often am really early. I think for me, the, the truth has sort of been like, I either have the title before I start or else the title never feels right. Like titling a story, or a book afterward feels really hard to me. Um, and I, I don't know why that's different, but there is something about the title sort of um, guiding the book that makes it feel like it grows into it. I imagine it's a little bit like when you give yourself a new name as an adult for whatever reason, it's just really hard to name yourself. Even <laughs> if you don't love how your parents did it, it's really hard to do for yourself. Like if I had to come up with a whole new name, I have no idea what it would be, but I'm not terribly attached to Matt Bell, you know, um, <laughs> it just sort of is what I got stuck with. Um, but I think I kind of grew into it. I feel, kind of feel like a Matt, whatever that means. Um, so I think I, I wish I had better sort of titling advice. I can sort of see all the things titles can do, right? Like sometimes the title spotlights something in the book and that can be a way for us. It puts a lot of emphasis on a theme. Uh, nothing wrong with titling a book after the character or the place. Uh, but I really do tend to have it in advance. Um, I think the thing I'm writing right now is, a, uh, I'm saying I think, I'm trying to make it sound like I'm not so sure, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm writing right now a trilogy of books. And I, I have a draft of the first book. I have two drafts of the first book. But I, I have had the titles for the other two books for a long time. I don't even really know what happens in the third one. I have like three sentences of it, right? But I know what it's called. And somehow that makes me sure I can write it, even though I'm maybe like, a thousand pages of writing away from it, you know? Um, and so I don't know, there's something really interesting about that. Uh, I guess the last thing I'll say about titles is that when I teach novel writing, I make my students have them, have working titles at least on day one. So they have to, you know, or day two, I guess, you know, week one, we talk with the class, week two, they come back with a, a title of the book and they've written some words. Um, and we do that not because that title is going to stick necessarily, but so that we can talk about their books as if they already exist. So like while I was writing Appleseed, I could say like, instead of like the novel I'm writing or this book I'm trying to write, I could be like, uh, oh, I worked on Appleseed today. And it makes it seem like it's something that exists that you're like excavating or discovering as opposed to this kind of equivocating, I'm trying to write a novel kind of language. Um, and I think there's something really good in that. Like in class, we all talk about each other's books by title. So even though someone's only written 5,000 words so far, we talk about it as if it exists. It'd be like, this reminds me of in Matt's Appleseed. And that has a lot of power, I think. Um, and it just sort of is a way of claiming what you're doing. Um, it's not going to be for everybody, but I think that's been really helpful for me. Um, all those failed novels I wrote, I still know the titles of, right? Like, um, they're still like kind of things that exist, even though I didn't finish them. Hmm. Interesting. And you mentioned a trilogy you're working on now. Before you started the first book, did you know it was going to be a trilogy? Uh, I don't think so. But I, it's sort of, uh, yeah, so as the scale of it was sort of opening up. I was like, oh, maybe this is. Um, and uh, and it does seem like the form it wants to take right now, or I want it to, I want it to take. Um, one of my career goals that I feel maybe most earnest about is that I want to write a book in every genre that I love. Um, 
And uh, and I think I've decided that trilogy is a genre, which seems true. Uh, <laughs> so this is my <laughs> my attempt to do that. Um, and it's been fun. It's it's an interesting way of of thinking. It cha again changes the scale, right? The scale can sort of grow, go up, and different things can happen. Um, and it's been kind of fun to think through. We'll see, right? Trilogies are hard to sell. It's hard to do. Um, you know, I I think uh, we'll see how it works. But right now, I feel like you know, given no reason not to, like I'll write three books and that seems pretty exciting. Um, I mean, I'm in sort of a, a maybe second, second rewrite of the first book, but feeling pretty good about it. And I, I can feel the way that they kind of, the product sort of opens as it goes through the books, you know, even though I haven't written them yet. Um, and the farther I get into the rewrite process of the first book, the more I can see of the next one. And that's kind of, uh, it feels like I'm generating it as I'm revising the first one, which is an interesting and new kind of um, experience for me as a writer. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's nice to to find yourself thinking along a new track in that way. Yeah. And, you know, before we go, I have to say, I love your list of weasel words, mm, yeah. <laughs> which, you know, that's like a really important part of rewriting or revising, but kind of at the very end, huh? Yeah. I mean, you can do it anytime, right? I mean, so much, all these sort of stages in the book, you have to organize a book somehow, right? But really like all of it can be done anytime. Um, and I think some of those things that are at the very end of Refuse to be done, like the weasel word searching are ways I'll, some things I'll sometimes do just when I'm stuck or just when I don't have a lot of time to write or I don't have focus. Like you can you can look for overuse of the word suddenly any day, right? You don't have to wait till the <laughs> last day to do it. Um, and so sometimes those are things I use um, just to shake things up or just to, you know, maybe improve the overall quality of the prose in the draft as I'm writing it. Um, but I think they are, they just require a very different and in some ways lower kind of focus. Um, it's a little kind of rote as opposed to imaginative stuff. Um, it's hard for me to write if I've already been in the world. So like I can't, I can revise later in the day, but I can't draft. And so sometimes on a day where all I have is like a half hour in the middle of the day or something, then maybe that's, a, I can play around with that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, hopefully the like one, two, threeness of the drafts in the book is not, it's not meant to be rigid, right? It's just meant to be organizational as much as anything. Hmm. Well, before we go, I wonder if there's anything we didn't talk about that maybe we should have talked about, or if you have any sort of last words or, or words of advice for the writers listening who are perhaps, um, well, who knows at what stage of novel writing, but um, yeah. Yeah, you know, we, we did talk about writer's block, which I think is like a persistent sort of worry for people. And I'll just say that for me, I think when I have experienced writer's block, it is not usually because I don't want to write or I don't know what to, what to write. Um, it's usually either because I've got in my head that I'm like not writing like the right thing, like other people are writing the right kind of books and I'm writing the wrong kind of the book and I get in this sort of like doubt thing I can't get myself out of. And I think, so it's, it's really comparison, right? Like, like comparison can be the root of writer's block. Um, and I think finding a way around that uh, is really important that it will always seem like everybody else is, is doing well when you're not just, especially in this sort of social media age. Um, and I think maybe the other half of that is if you're trying to judge the book before it's finished, you will be frustrated. And the, you know, the book will, or at least my, my experience is novels mostly do not look like publishable books until like the very end of the process. You know, um, I certainly see that in my own drafts, I see it in friends drafts, I see it in my students drafts. Um, the kind of first chapters we write when we're writing like a first draft 
are almost never really what the first draft of the book will look like. Uh, but I think we we want it to be that already. And wanting the book to be like a publishable, like I could pick this off a shelf and read it at the wrong stage of the process leaves you frustrated. And mm -hmm. so recognizing that I, I can't do everything at once and that I don't have to do everything at once frees me a lot. Um, doesn't mean I don't jam myself up to, of course I do, but I think recognizing uh, where the source of my writer's block is coming from, which is usually comparison and judgment, helps me escape it. And I, I think that might be useful for people who are, are looking for advice here today to think about when that happens to them in their own process. Mm, and especially with first chapters, I see students, you know, revising over and over the first chapter and try to say, look, you're going to be like a different person by the time this draft is done. And yeah. the first chapter is most likely going to change. Yeah, I mean, they, they, I mean, I know they stay for some books, you know, and I think parts of my first chapters are have stayed in some of them, but they really do change a lot. Um, Zadie Smith, you know, has that great craft essay called That Crafty Feeling, where she talks about writing her, her second book and that she rewrote the first 20 pages of it over and over and over again for like two years and then wrote the rest of the book in like six months with no second draft. And uh, that seems like uh, uh, I mean, nothing to be J.D. Smith would be great. So it worked for J.D. Smith. But also, I don't think she seemed that happy about it. And it seemed like, <laughs> you know, a hard thing. Um, she mentioned at the end of the essay, rereading the beginning of that book and it being uh, uh, like touring a prison cell she had once been held captive in. Um, and I think there's there's something to be said for like maybe not doing that if you don't have to. <laughs> but, uh, but like you said, I think mostly the reason not to do it is like you are going to revise it anyway uh, going back to that Amy Tan idea of like with the voice of all that happened, there's so much you can't know yet when you're writing that first draft or the first chapter that like there's almost no reason to overdetermine it that early um, for most writers, I think. But again, if that's somebody's process, nothing wrong with it. I, I'd be happy to have written Zadie Smith's book. So, it, you know, it worked for her. It's, it's fine for the people. <laughs> it sounds like the right plan for Oh, well, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been really a pleasure. I've been making notes and uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Barbara. I appreciate it. Thanks to all of you for loving books and taking the time to listen. And a huge thanks to our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to be one, and Marie and I would certainly welcome that, visit patreon.com, Writers on Writing. Thank you to Travis Barrett, who does our music design. And if you want to get in touch with me, email me at penonfire at earthlink.net. My website is penonfire.com. Marie Stone is at mariestone at gmail.com. And Travis Barrett is at travisbarrettcreative at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. And in the meantime, remember to stay in the chair. Bye.